Can toys be a force for good? Can they help bridge gaps and teach empathy? One woman says yes, and she's setting off a toy revolution to prove it. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with social entrepreneurs and other changemakers impacting their communities and the world. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum, publisher and editor-in-chief of Sea Change magazine. On today's episode, we speak with Alana Ben-Ari, founder of 21 Toys and the designer of the award-winning Empathy Toy, a blindfolded puzzle game that teaches understanding and communication. We spoke with Ilana at the always bustling Center for Social Innovation, a co-working space for organizations with a social mission in downtown Toronto. We spoke about the growing importance of empathy, the challenges of scale, and the next toy she has already set in motion in her toy revolution. Essentially why I decided to start 21 Toys um, was that I kept going, you know, I think there's some serious issues in, in our education system and creativity and social and emotional skills don't really seem to be at the forefront of it, but they're very much necessary, not just in education, but in like the working world. Yep. Why aren't we teaching these skills? Uh, and I just said, you know what, I'm going to change education with toys. So that's when I started 21 Toys and the Empathy Toy is kind of the first in a series of toys. So that's, so that's where it's That's where I'll start it. And so, um, uh, and just, so when did it actually, because it, it, it wasn't originally, like you said, it wasn't originally focused strictly on empathy, but it sort of evolved in that way and you realized the mm-hmm. need and that gap, right? So was there something about this need for empathy that you have seen grow over the years? Have you seen it um, more mm-hmm. attention paid to it? Like how, how do you feel about that whole like empathy area since the mainstay of the, your business right now is still the empathy toy, I'm assuming, but we can discuss the others as well. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'll answer that part first and I'll go back to the, the specific empathy question. So the empathy toys are the first in a series. So the next toy we're currently working on is a toy that teaches failure. Yeah. Um, and so that I'm really excited about the empathy toy was both, that's where I started in my kind of toy design journey. Yeah. Um, but where it really aligned was the fact that, um, there's so many social and emotional skills that we should be focusing on, but they all really have to relate to creativity and collaboration Mm -hmm. and empathy. Really. I'm so excited and happy that we started with empathy, um, because it's such an important place to start. And it's, it's so parallel with the design process. I designed the empathy toy through empathic research. So when you start looking at a problem um, and you approach it with design thinking, the first step is empathy. And that means I went to the library and read about visual impairment for a few minutes. <laughs> I was like, why am I reading a book? I should go talk to people who are living with it. I should spend the day with them. I should meet their friends and family. Yeah. And that's when I got real breakthroughs into it. So I think the relationship between empathy and creativity is so important. Mm. Um, and a lot of people in the design community know that. Uh, IDEO, who coined the term design thinking, have been saying this for years. They've yeah. written books about it. Um, but it's becoming more and more mainstream because of reports coming out of, like, the World Economic Forum had a, um, a report on, like, the future of jobs. And they said uh, social and emotional skills and creativity are now in the top top skills mm. that are necessary now. And so it's becoming mainstream because employers and schools are seeing it's not just a nice to have it's actually incredibly relevant and really crucial that we start developing it and we start 
supporting it because uh, that's what we need for the the challenges essentially of, of the 21st century where we're being forced to collect not forced but really I guess forced to collaborate yeah you know yes. complex changing world and creativity isn't just like a cute nice to have it's now I mean that's that's um that's what will separate you from from a lot of other you know, applicants and a lot of other people who are trying to face the same challenges. Absolutely. And so where, I mean, if we just stick to the, to look at the empathy toy first before moving on to the other elements, which I want to get to as well. So the empathy toy, where, where is it, where can you find it now? And, and, and uh, what kind of response have you had to it specifically in schools and where else is it going? So when I first started, it was really focused on schools and we're still in schools as of today. We're, um, I'm four years in yeah. and, uh, we're in about a thousand schools in 45 countries, wow. which is pretty crazy. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Um, yeah, that's all being through word of mouth. Um, I like to say, especially when speaking to other entrepreneurs, um, we're, we're entirely bootstrapped. So every moment that we exist is because we are speaking directly to the users and the people that are using our products since day one, because we've needed to, um, prove its value from day one. Right. So, um, we are just now starting to build, uh, you know, capacity to support, you know, things like marketing and sales and all those, but it really, it's just, it's grown organically through a lot of hard work on, on our end and word of mouth. Nice. So, Teachers have been so excited about it, which was a first, um, the first story really where we, um, we connected with our first school. I, when I first started, I thought it's going to take forever for a school to trust me. I'm not a teacher. Yeah. Um, and I gave a TEDx talk on how I designed the toy initially for the visually impaired community. Now looking towards the future, it's certain applications it could have towards education and a school board in, uh, in, Ontario saw my TEDx talk on Twitter hmm. and they put in their first order. Wow. So we sold our first, yeah. So, um, they, they, uh, wanted the toy. They knew that it was, you know, at that point it was just myself. I think I got a design intern <laughs> around that same way. Um, and, uh, she and I, and then, and then the team started to grow, um, use that first order of a school as a way to kind of go into production. And in our first year, we ended up in about 50 schools. That's great. So, and, and today, um, I'm going to get to, I want to ask you about your competence you're most proud of as well as the obstacles, but I want to just know today. So what other, where is it now? So is it in organizations and companies as well? Is it other mm-hmm. toys? What else are you doing with it now? Yeah. So, um, the toys, we say it's ages six to 99. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're in school. So we're in, um, elementary, uh, mainstream high schools, I would say like the education, uh, in that sector, uh, we're definitely seeing a lot, um, in high schools that are using it actually, uh, we've just started, uh, encouraging and we're now launching a, a leadership program called 21 leaders yeah. where students become the facilitators of the toys. Oh. Um, and they lead sessions with younger students. And, uh, we just got back from Winnipeg last May where the mayor of Winnipeg gave us, uh, an honor thanking us for the work that toy was being used on this one high school in particular that started this 21 leaders program, an 85% reduction in office referrals. In what? Sorry. So, Say that again. In what? In, in conflict-based office referrals. Office so referrals. Uh, essentially, essentially um, when students are, uh, there's bullying yeah. or there's conflict, they're being sent to the, the office. Yeah. And 85% reduction wow. since starting this yeah, empathic leadership program That's where amazing. students, I know, so students, so we're now 
launching kind of that with schools, um, what's the most surprising is we're actually in over 30 colleges and universities. So Sheridan, Seneca uh, within Ontario, but also the Chinese University of Hong Kong. We were just uh, in Hong Kong. We'll be going again in in August. Um, We have a lot of MBA programs that are using our toys to introduce business. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Really, really incredible. So surprising. And then, yeah, we're at least, I think I've stopped, I haven't counted recently. We're in over a hundred offices. So yeah. So not for profits like United Way, but other organizations like FedEx, um, Bank of Montreal has been incredible. We've, we've run a number of workshops with them and now we're looking at what internal program development and certification looks like, Mm -hmm. uh, Scotiabank we've had, um, a lot of a lot of organizations, uh, even law firms, um, that are using our toys kind of in their talents and learning departments. Okay. Um, so we're being brought in to run workshops with the toys, and then we're saying, hey, if you want to start developing this internally, we can start helping you use the toys internally, so we can train some of your staff. Interesting. Or and or they can have us come in. So we're kind of doing multiple. We're touching on, on multiple levels. So like an annual event, we can come in and run a 90 minute or three hour workshop. But then what we do is they end up with a toy and we go, you should really consider using this internally. So we've had a lot of, uh, organizations like Deloitte who sent their, their staff to us. And then we're working with them one-on-one to develop it into their unique, you know, organizations. Um, and then I would say, uh, the thing that's exciting about that is that once it's in the hands of internally in an organization, we then discover surprise ways it's being used. The most recent being uh, the Mars Discovery District is one of a few organizations that's using it for job interviews. Oh, really? Yeah. And we found that out because we were just hiring, we just hired a director of partnerships and learning and we had about a hundred applicants. And so a number of people didn't, you know, get the job and they, uh, we had a few people who applied for jobs at Mars, at the Mars Discovery District in Toronto. Yeah. And they emailed me after and said, like, hey, I have to play your toy in this job interview. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And that's how we... They didn't even yeah. tell you that, though. You had no clue no, that they were that's doing. how I found out. <laughs> and then my joke was like, you really should have gotten a toy. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but we, I mean, we use it now when we hire, uh, which seems ridiculous to play the toy with the person that invented it. But honestly, it's been such an amazing way to, in five to 15 minutes, yeah. you know, in a five-minute gameplay, I, I immediately can tell how someone's going to deal with patience, frustration. Yes. And most importantly, are they going to creatively communicate with me? Because not ever, no one necessarily defaults speaks the same language. So how did that, how does that person adjust? Yeah. So I could tell right away, oh, this person is not going to be okay with me. Being <laughs> Take that <laughs> toy vice, away. Yes. Yeah, or vice versa. This would be, this seems like someone who'd be a really good teammate. That's really so, good. Yeah. It's awesome. And so, and so on, and so that's the empathy toy still, right? So that's still the mm-hmm. empathy. And what other toys or have you developed? You said there was a, also a failure toy. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know what the next, uh, six to nine toys are, but I discovered not to talk about them too. Okay. Publicly. <laughs> that's fine. Most, but there's six to nine started. already in development. Oh, yeah. Before I started 21 toys, I knew what the first six were oh, yeah. my in an order. Okay. Yeah, it's. I think the the thing that delays it um, is I'm a first time female, well, females regardless, but I'm a first time founder, um, and so I've been discovering how to, you know, I kind of took the uh, how to design a business the way that I think about how to design a product. Yeah. So there's a lot of trial by fire and just kind of figuring it out as I go, um, but it's becoming more and more meta. Because yeah. the first three toys are specific to the design process. So empathy is the beginning of design. 
failure is prototyping and iteration. Uh, um, yeah. So there's the emotional component of just dealing with what does it mean when I get something wrong and then applying that to a design process or really just when you're creating anything, what kind of, how should I be approaching a problem that I'm trying to solve? A, I should start with empathy, which is I have a lot of assumptions. I have my own background and prejudices that I should like acknowledge to say, like, I don't know everything about this situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I should start talking to other people and failure. Failure is really about saying, you know, I should approach this with curiosity and humility because if I'm creating something new, mm-hmm. I am not going to get it right on the first try. So to go into it with the arrogance of like, Oh, my first idea is the best idea. You're setting yourself up for actual failure. Right. Where in fact you should be anticipating feedback and iteration and discussion Right. So the failure toys is the next one I'm very, very excited about. Um, there's so much discussion right now. I mean, empathy is very, very much becoming mainstream. Harvard Business Review, I think, writes about empathy every other week now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but failure, I mean, every discussion we have about empathy, even with the empathy toy, leads to discussion about failure. Right. And so it kind of feels like the natural uh next toy. And I can tell you the third toy after that. Okay. Then I'll stop. (laughs) Um, Mostly mostly because how quickly we can launch new toys has everything to do with all the structures that need to be in place to support the, our initial toy. Yeah. Um, kind of as the team is growing, but, uh, after failure, the next story is going to be about improv and improvisation. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, Improv is kind of the process of brainstorming and building on other people's ideas. Um, so empathy, failing improv, that's essentially that's the design process. Those are the skills that are necessary for creative collaboration. Yeah. And if you're inventing or creating anything, those, those skills are key. Amazing. And so, okay. So those are the three. All right. We got the three at least. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say? And I, you mentioned some accomplishments already, and I'm just thinking of all this that you have accomplished because I know you have, um, in this, but in terms of, accomplishments and how that sort of relates to the obstacles as well. You mentioned bootstrapping. Um, mm-hmm. what, first of all, what would you say are your, your things that you're most proud of and what kind of stands in your way or has stood in your way that you were able to sort of push aside and you know, how have you been able to do that? Hmm. A big question um, with a lot of big a lot question. Of <laughs> it's hard to say the, like the accomplishments that I'm most proud of. I mean, at the end of the day, just, and I say this to a lot of designers. Yeah. I think designers have so much to offer, especially now. Yes. Um, and to just take the leap and, and try to start your own business. I think that's the hardest and scariest decision to make, but yeah. we need more people. I would love more peers that are dealing with a socially minded design company that's producing products. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's, there are not that many of us out there. And so I think, taking the leap. I quit my job. I, my joke is I quit my job. I moved in with circus performers in Montreal. <laughs> um, yeah. Were they actual circus performers? Yeah. yeah no, they were. Okay. Uh, it was an amazing, amazing, I always talk about this circus loft, but it was my, my first kind of introduction to what the world of, of, uh, working for your passion and working for your art yes. um, look like. And, um, I kind of started from there. Um, um, and I think the biggest accomplishments, I, I think it's ongoing, but just, uh, it's so hard to start your business, especially, um, I'm, I'm very similar to a lot of entrepreneurs who are bootstrapping, yeah. they're, you know, it's, you're creating value because, you know, there isn't this 
um, imaginary money that's, you know, appearing and saying here, uh, don't worry about rent for a year. Um, you know, nice, I've been, yeah, yeah so I've been very, very lucky. It's been a combination of just, um, there've been a lot of times when I could have probably given up. Um, but I've decided to continue going. Um, and then just, I talk about this a lot, but just my community of, of friends from before I started the company and friends that I've developed since I've moved to Toronto and started this business mm. that have given me their couches and their clothes and their advice. Um, <laughs> And then organizations like CEO, the most recent award that we won, it's an interest-free loan for five years. Nice. That's allowed us to go into production for the fourth time. I mean, we went into production for the first three times by literally my only option was uh, with that first school, I said, oh, you want 30 toys? Fantastic. I have one prototype. <laughs> uh, this is what it's going to cost. I need you to pay in full upfront and it'll be ready in six months. <laughs> and like, I knew that was a big ask, but I wasn't, I don't think I knew how big of an ask that was. And they said, sure. And then we did a Kickstarter and I asked 400 people to pay in advance and wait a year. And, and then, did. and they did. And then our third production run, then I was talking to distributors. We have distributors in Europe. And I said, great, you guys want to buy hundreds of toys. Can you please play? <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be ready in three months. And so I think the, the, the fact that I haven't done this before has sometimes worked to my benefit and sometimes very much not. Um, I would say the biggest obstacle when I first started um, really had to do with being a first-time founder. Definitely, I do think gender does play a role into it where yeah. you sometimes over-apologize. You don't want to take up too much space. Yeah. Um, it, all of those kind of insecurities. And then also just on the flip side, being taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found it really difficult to navigate when I was asking for advice to make sure that the person I was asking for advice for knew that there were no strings attached. I just legitimately was starting a business and would like some advice. Right. Uh, not using that as a window to, you know, start figuring out how we can hang out. <laughs> and so and just just one last cl- uh, question, just to clarify something for those who don't know what the Shio Award is or what it's about. Can you just give us a bit of that, like, what that is and how what you want? If, what else sure. What yeah, it's, it's this amazing initiative. They're in their second year. Yeah. Uh, uh, we were lucky enough to be part of the first cohort. So um, this uh, woman, Vicki Saunders, who's an incredible uh, entrepreneur in her own right, mm-hmm. um, has started a number of companies. She started this initiative uh, called CEO uh, Radical Generosity, where she uh, has put the call out to a thousand women to each donate a thousand dollars to create a pool of a million dollars that would then be loaned out to 10 female, female led businesses, mm-hmm. um, interest-free with uh, five-year payment terms nice. in their first year, they, they shot for a thousand women. And it was funny. They said they only got 500. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and so the goal is to, you know, to have this spread. I think they've already launched in the U S this year. Yep. Um, but essentially the crux of it is that we were one of five, um, organizations that were, um, given access to this, this huge, uh, loan, which we had to, um, it wasn't a charity. It wasn't a donation. We had to do some serious, there's some serious vetting, there's some serious negotiation amongst the cohort on how it was divided because it wasn't allowed to be divided evenly uh-huh. or go all to venture. Um, but the heart of it is really to say like on her end, she's seen it, she's been through it. She knows a lot of women who are in that space. The system is set up that it isn't, it really isn't set up to support women in the way that they run and they build businesses. And mm-hmm. so this was a way to, instead of changing, in, instead of trying to work within that model, they said, let's just make a new one. Mm-hmm. 
Amazing. That's wonderful. Um, I think you've pretty much covered what I wanted to ask you. Is there anything else you wanted to say about lessons learned or anything like that? I think you've, uh, you've definitely offered, uh, listeners a lot of valuable information. Yeah. I mean, all I would say is I'm still, I'm learning a lot. (laughs) Um, I do think going back to like the early days of when we started, um, I do think it's really important, and I see this a lot with uh, with female founders, um, is the idea that while you're building something, you're really excited about it. Sometimes when people are um, approaching you or they want to help out, that's amazing, and you should be very thankful for that. But at the same time, a lot of the times I see women are giving up their power very quickly mm. um, as a way to say, like, um, to, to not really value the work and the effort that they put in to build that. Um, and I see that very much. It's, it's very unbalanced. I've seen that. So I think acknowledging and and holding your power and, and valuing the work and the time and the effort that you put in is really important when you're building something, um, just to make sure that it it stays true to your, your vision and, and to not discredit the work that you're putting in. Cause that, that I've seen a lot and definitely since getting involved in last year, a little more specifically on that end of things, I've, I've seen that over again with, with other organizations. So I think just really it's, it's that. And then the best way to do that and to not feel like maybe you're going crazy is to surround yourself by a lot of amazing entrepreneurs. I know Elisa, you and I met uh, at a, at a fellowship and, yes. and I think community is, is key yes. to keeping yourself kind of grounded and giving you a bit of perspective because this is not easy oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, it's not, um, it's, it's not easy and, uh, you're definitely taking a lot of risks, but being around, you know, other people that understand that is really important. Absolutely. No, that's great. Great advice. Um, and appreciated, <laughs> much appreciated. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to In the Business of Change. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and change makers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum.